Hello, welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game, and occasionally a 7800 game, and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 301. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. This episode is dropping on March 6th, 2022. We're into March. Winter is still technically with us, but it is off in a corner, refusing to look at us, gagging and, and oozing pus from various orifices as it, it knows that the end is coming. I've had a lot of coffee this morning, and I'm kind of tired of winter. Although, I will say, I have two dogs, uh, Bug and Beans. I've mentioned them both on the show many times. One benefit of winter is that the snow buries the dog turds, and as spring starts to come and the thaw comes and the ground's all soggy, landmines start to appear. So I do, uh, on those occasions, miss the snow. I mean, having said that, Beans, even after, oh God, what's it been? More than two months, still has not quite, at least not consistently, gotten the idea of uh, doing the poo out the side not inside. So we don't have quite as many landmines from him, but there's enough that it, it makes me sad to see the spring is coming. Overall, doesn't mean I won't welcome it, but I think really what I'm saying is that I'm not satisfied uh, with any state of affairs. Hopefully you guys are finding a little bit more peace in the world than me. Peace in the world being a complicated concept at the moment. You know what? I'm just going to move on. Got some feedback this episode. I like that. Keep it coming. Carl Mead my listener in New Zealand, posted on the Facebook. That's right. I don't mean to brag, but Atari Bytes has a Facebook page. If you haven't checked it out and liked it, please do. On the post that I put up when episode 300 came out, uh, you'll recall that that was the episode where I uh, I and Henry, my uh, random occasional co-host and uh, frequent cameraman, tried out the Space Invaders board game. And Carl wrote uh, on the Facebook, congrats on 300. Thank you, Carl. No congrats on that board game. And he spelled board, B-O-R-E-D. And then he asked, did you get bored? Well, thanks for commenting, first of all, and, and being a, a loyal listener. Being in a, in a lovely country like New Zealand, I would think you'd have much better things to do than listen to this dumb show. So thank you for sticking with it. I think Henry and I mentioned in the episode that, yeah, we did get kind of bored. If you've listened to the episode... Uh, you know, watched or heard the field report, you know that we did not really even play a whole game. We just kind of demonstrated how it worked and left it at that. Part of that was because, uh, a little peek behind the curtain here, it was Super Bowl Sunday, and we were trying to get it in uh, before the Super Bowl stuff starts. Neither of us are, are big, you know, sports fans in general or in football in particular, but, you know, the Super Bowl is, has become sort of a holiday in America, so we were eager, frankly, to get to the snacks. So we were kind of rushing to get it through so we could do that. The other reason we didn't devote as much time to it as we could have, well, two things. One, Henry's 12, and so his attention span is not great. The other part of it was the game really is kind of boring, frankly. And I think we talked about this in the episode. It is hard to take the uh, you know the lights and sounds and action of a, a, a TV screen, a TV video game, and translate into a cardboard board game. So yeah, Carl, honestly, I did get kind of bored. But that's okay, because I do this for you, not you specifically, Carl, although you included. Uh, I do it for, for the listeners. So it was worth it. And the snacks were good, too. All right. Uh, thanks for that, Carl. Keep the comments coming. 
I also heard from, and I'm very excited about this, I got a voicemail. As you know, we have a, 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 a I hesitate to call it a hotline of sorts, because it's actually been pretty cold uh, in recent months, but we, we have a phone number. Um, I wonder what it is. 563-265-1978. Yeah, let's say that. Yeah, 563-265-1978. That's the number you should call, and someone did. Now, here's the sad part. I can't tell you who it was or thank them for calling because they didn't... I mean, I can thank them for calling, but I can't thank them for calling by name because they didn't leave a name. So, I'm sorry, caller. I can't specifically credit you. Please call back and tell me uh, who you are. And uh, and if you have additional comments, please leave them. Uh, but here's the message that we got. Hey, Bill. In episode 300 of Atari Bytes, you were talking about what it would be like if you turn a board game into a video game, and you mentioned Hungry Hippos, and that made me think that probably the best, most faithful conversion of Hungry Hippos to a video game uh, has already been done, and that is Floyd of the Jungle, which was a 1982 Atari 8-bit video game. So it doesn't work on the VCS, unfortunately, but you might have seen it, uh, and if you haven't, you should check it out. And uh, also, speaking of Atari 8-bit games, uh, Ball Blazer is indeed a wonderful game, and I hope you really enjoy reviewing it for episode 301. All right, cheers. Cheers to you as well. And again, I'm sorry, I can't uh, name you by name, so please do call back or hit me up on social media or email or something. Let me know that, hey, I was the guy that called you because uh, I appreciate your comments. I am not familiar with Floyd of the Jungle. I was a kid, and I have kids, so I'm, of course, familiar with Hungry Hippos. Floyd of the Jungle evidently was a 1982 platform game for the Atari 8-bit family. This is just off the top of my head. Honest. It was put out by something called Microprose, designed and programmed by company co-founder Sid Meier, which, of course, is certainly a game I know, even though I'm only a casual computer game person. I've certainly owned Sid Meier games, like uh, Civilization, for example, which was an epic uh, and is a, a classic game. Floyd of the Jungle, according to this thing I'm reading, is one of the few 2D action games uh, Meyer created on the only platform game. In the game, you and two other people, Floyd, uh, Joy, uh, you, me talk good, me podcast. Uh, in the game, you and two other men, George and Floyd, are on a mission to rescue a girl who was lost in the jungle. This all sounds very 80s to me. All three of you need to look out for alligators, elephants, birds, and many other wildlife that inhabit the jungle, birds and pygmies. That may be a problematic description, but anyway, uh, can be picked up for points. You need to rescue the girl who is lost in the jungle. The girl apparently doesn't even get a name. If George or Floyd get to her before you do, you'll have to restart the level, uh, and there's a handicap option available. I'm looking at some screenshots here, trying to think what it reminds me of. I guess it reminds me a little bit vaguely of Donkey Kong, uh, in that there's um, you start at the bottom of the screen, you have to work your way up. Uh, running you know back and forth across different levels and things and all the while alligators and whatnot coming at you instead of barrels I guess I suppose uh, I, I I have not ever played this game if anyone ever has ever played Floyd of the Jungle uh, let me know I had I haven't talked about this much I had an Atari 8-bit computer when I was a kid uh, for a while uh, I liked it it had one of the uh, cassette recorder disk drive things I'm not a real tech guy. So I don't know what you call it, but I had one of those and I had a dot matrix printer and I had a few games. I had like a, things like a Dracula game and a, uh, a Lord of the Rings game. Uh, that one was a text adventure. Uh, that was kind of fun, but not very many. 
and I don't remember this game. Uh, but again, if anyone knows about this game, let me know. Hungry Hippos, of course, I do know more about. Hungry Hungry Hippos originally came out, this is mostly what I wanted to find out, in 1967. It was invented by Fred Kroll. Oh, well, this is interesting. The idea for the game was published in 1967 by inventor Fred Kroll, and the game was introduced in 1978. I wonder what took so long to make this game. The objective is to, for each player to collect as many marbles as possible with their hippo, a toy hippopotamus model. Interesting. I think you could make a legit... You know, the caller's point was that Floyd of the Jungle is basically hungry hippos, and, and I can certainly see the comparison. Um, I think you could make probably pretty easily, a Hungry Hippos, you know, a literal Hungry Hippos adaptation to a video game. Of course, the point of my, uh, the, the challenge of sorts that I threw out to everybody in episode 300 was to come up with an idea for a way to not literally translate a game to a board game to computer, you know, like, like turning Hungry Hippos into the computer version of Hungry Hippos. Caller's point was that Hungry Hippos, as a computer game, would basically be, basically be Floyd of the Jungle. So that's an excellent example. I'm wondering if there are any other examples. Uh, you know, Monopoly board game is or equals blank computer game. Or if there isn't a direct comparison, how would you do it without literally putting Monopoly on a computer, which of course has been done. Stuff like that. So uh, the, the challenge of sorts is still open. If anyone has thoughts, let me know. This episode's game is Ball Blazer for the 7800. That's right, dusting off the 7800 that's been sitting on the shelf for a while, and I thought a good game to visit would be this one, which has an incredible reputation uh, among 7800 fans. Uh, so I thought it was time that I check it out. The game was produced by Lucasfilm Games, a division of Lucas Arts. Uh, it's a 1987 game, at least the 7800 version. There were uh, other versions for other systems, but we're, of course, playing the 7800 version, so all we care about is 1987. On the cover, uh, we have the title, Ball Blazer. We have a very 80s-looking version of uh, the inside workings of a computer or, or a space scene or something with sort of the checkerboard field and sort of these oddly shaped ships and things with big windows and whatnot. We're told uh, as we open the manual that Ball Blazer is the simplest, fastest, and most competitive sport in the known universe. It grew from dark roots in ancient space wars to become king of all games among every life form within range of interstellar ether cast. In exactly three minutes, Ball Blazer can make you a hero or destroy a lifetime of dreams. The year is 3097 and the place is a null gravity nexus mid-space in the binary star system of Kalaxon and Calamar. Minutes from now, on the luminous surface of an artificial asteroid, the final round of the Interstellar Ball, Ball Blazer Championship, the greatest tournament of all time in space, will begin. And history will be made. For the first time, a creature from the planet Earth, I like how they call it, the uh, the player from Earth a creature, has battled through the countless qualifying rounds and eliminations, enduring and then triumphing across vast parsecs to win the right to compete for Earth's honor and the ultimate title any being can possess. Master Blazer. 
final round is about to begin, and the competitor from Earth is you. Uh, very nice setup. You know, like I said, I like that they refer to the Earth player as a creature, acknowledging that by the time by the year 3097, this competition has expanded to include many life forms. We move into the setup of the game. I like how they, you know, it's the standard stuff about plug in your Atari 7800, you have to put the game in, get the joystick and all that. But they, they couch it in in the uh, the parlance of, uh, of this game. You know, they, they refer to you as a young Tyro. Uh, you were required to uh, master the ball blazer prep procedure before you were allowed to go into competition. Uh, you have to set up your equipment, size up your opponent, ready the rotofoil, i.e. insert the ball blazer cartridge into the cartridge slot, turn on the systems, turn on all systems, basically turn on your TV. Demonstration play automatically begins. Each player combination of human and android, or human and droid, is demonstrated at random for one minute. Uh, you play. You can set up to play a, a regulation two-player, two-human, three-minute game. Uh, and then there are other combinations as well. Basically, you hit the select button, and the designation for player one will flash. Move your joystick up and down to choose human or droid. Droid nine is the most skilled. Droid 1 is the least skilled. Typically, you would leave player 1 at human for yourself. Move the joystick at the right to the right to select the game length. Uh, the numbers at the center of the band will flash. Move your joystick up and down to choose from 1 to 9 minute games. Move the joystick to the right again to designate player 2. Your opponent will be human if you have a second player. Or move your joystick up and down to choose a droid level. Uh, you can press select again to watch some random demonstrations. Or press the left joystick fire button to start the game. Press reset at any time to reset the game, because that's how resets work. And during play, you can pause the game, which I always forget with the 7800. Before boarding your rotofoil, you take a moment to look over one of the most beautiful and exciting sights in the universe. The grid. The ball bla blazer playing field. Ah, the grid. 1155 squares, surrounded by an electro boundary that keeps players and ball within, uh, within bounds. Uh, there's a pair of goal beams at the ends of the grid and they begin moving at 5 meters per second, and the distance between them shrinks. You tense for action as the song of the grid plays through the headphones in your helmet, which I'll take their word for, because as you'll hear in the field report, I had some technical issues, and I had no audio in my game. I don't know if it was something with the ROM that I was playing or what, because uh, other games, I plugged in other games into my, my console, and they worked fine. So it was this ROM specifically that wasn't working. That's okay. That just means in the field report, it's all the easier to hear my stellar commentary. You strap yourself into the rotofoil and recite to yourself the basic rules of the game as you learn them from the official interstellar ball blazer competition handbook. Each player must compete in a regulation rotofoil. These rotofoils, designed after cruisers used in ancient deep space dogfights, travel at speeds of up to 50 meters per second. Each rotofoil must be outfitted with the following. A joystick control for navigating the grid and blasting the plasmorb. To, move, to navigate, the player moves the handle in the direction of intended travel. If in possession of the plasmorb, the player presses the fire button to activate the push field and launch the plasmorb. A rotosnap computer that automatically rotates or rotosnaps the rotofoil 90 degrees to face the plasmorb or the goal beams if the player already has the plasmorb. A force field that completely surrounds the rotofoil. When traveling without the plasmorb, the force field is a bump field that withstands collisions with other objects. When a player is within a few meters of the plasmorb, the force field becomes a pull field that automatically captures the ball and centers it toward the goal. When a player in possession of the plasmorb possesses the fire button, the force field becomes a push field that launches the ball. 
game officially begins when the timer starts. You move, uh, you begin by moving downfield until you locate the plasmorb and attempt to capture it. Players score points each time they blast the plasmorb between the goal beams. To score the maximum points, you blast the plasmorb between the goal beams that have disappeared over the horizon on the opposite end of the grid. This is called an over-the-horizon shot. You may attempt to steal the plasmorb by rushing up beside the opponent, blasting the plasmorb away, and going after it. Uh, there's a strategy section in the manual, but it basically says do those things that I just told you. Uh, there is a hint about uh, not letting the roto snaps disorient you. Listen for the snap when you rotate so you can keep your sense of direction. But again, like I said, I didn't have any audio in my game. Uh, they do suggest watching the demo games, which I didn't do a whole lot of, frankly. There is a little chart that points out the various things on the screen. It shows you your view of your opponent, the plasmorb, which is just a circle. Your opponent's view of you, it's a split screen thing. You're on the top screen and uh, your opponent's on the bottom. Uh, the scoring, there's no numbers, it's just dots. Five of them, uh, I guess, is a perfect score. Uh, there's a timer, which is pretty self-evident. And the goal beams, which are just two little sticks that you have to aim uh, between. A player scores by blasting the plasmorb between the goal beams. Goals made when the goal beams have disappeared behind the horizon score three points. Goals made closer to the goal beams score two points. Close in goals score one point. The total score, the combined points of both players, cannot exceed ten points for each game. A player scoring ten consecutive points wins the game in a shutout. Otherwise, the player with the most points score circles filled in with the player's color, at the end of the game period wins. In the event of a tie, the game goes in overtime, the next player to score wins. When all score circles are filled, a player can steal points by scoring more goals. For example, if Droid 5 scores the first 9 points and the human score scores the next 6 points, the human wins 6-4. to four. That actually addresses an issue that I mentioned in the field report because I forgot. Once you have all your 5 points, I was speculating in the field report, what do you do if, I mean, the time's not up? Well, the answer, of course, is that you can steal points from your opponent. And I wasn't thinking that through when I said it in the field report. Not thinking things through, of course, being the hallmark of a good podcaster. And that is how you play Ball Blazer from Lucasfilm Games, or whatever, 1987. I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast all about life lessons growing up and every episode a segment about music music that i love artists that i admire and sometimes even my own music you can find autobiography of a schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers or you can go to schnookpodcast.com that's s-c-h-n-o-o-k podcast.com And I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. It was originally published, evidently, in 1985 by Epix, one of the initial pair of releases from Lucasfilm Games, along with uh, Rescue on Fractalus. First published for the Atari 8-bit family, principal creator and programmer was David Levine. It was called Ball Blaster during development. Ported to Apple II's ZX Spectrum, Amstrad CPC, Commodore 64, MSX, Atari 5200, and 7800, published by Atari Corp. A version for the Famicom was released by Pony Canyon. Freezenet.com says that the 7800 version is an improvement over the 1500 
version. The music is better. While the music isn't that bad, there isn't much in the way of variety. In game, it is still just percussion sounds depending on the situation. The game still stands out for great graphics. Future furthest point in the game, defeated by Droid 7. General gameplay, 18 out of 25. Replay value, 7 out of 10. Graphics, 8 out of 10. Audio, 3 out of 5. Atari HQ observes that obviously the game is uh, boils down to really just being soccer, but in a cool way. The game is great. It's very smooth and fast. Isn't as easy as it sounds. Graphics are good. Provide a 3D feel to everything. Not many objects to play with, but everything looks really good. The opening music is neat. The game tune is just some random sounds. Still okay, though. Sound effects are all good, especially when the loser self-destructs. And again, I wouldn't know any of that, so I guess that makes me a double loser. Lucasfilm Games is part, of course, of Lucasfilm, founded in May of 82 by George Lucas as a video game development group alongside his film company. As part of a larger 1990 reorganization of the Lucasfilm division, the video game development division was grouped and rebranded as part of LucasArts, which became known as a line of, uh, for a line of adventure games, including Maniac Mansion, the Monkey Island series, and several Indiana Jones titles. I had at least a couple of the Indiana Jones ones. Um, I like those a lot. Lucasfilm was wholly acquired by Walt Disney Company in 2012, and by April of 2013, Disney had announced the shuttering of LucasArts in all but name keeping the division around to handle licensing of Lucasfilm properties to third-party developers, primarily Electronic Arts. Any in-house development was transferred to Disney Interactive Studios. Disney has since revitalized the Lucasfilm Games brand as the licensor of all Lucasfilm-related properties. Ex-LucasArts developers, of course, have gone on to do many other things. Lucasfilm Limited's website says that it is, quote, working hand-in-hand with world-class studios, Lucasfilm Games creates interactive and immersive experiences that help extend the narrative of the Star Wars galaxy for fans around the world. I don't know that I've played any of the Star Wars Lucasfilm games. If anyone has thoughts, let me know. Alright, well, after the break, blazing new trails in field reporting and having a ball? everybody. We have a special technical glitchy field report for you today. We're playing Ball Blazer. Uh, there's no audio, you'll notice, except for me, so you're welcome for that. I uh, don't know what's going on. Uh, other games seem to work fine. This one uh, doesn't want to, so we will muddle through as best we can. Here, Grutu to shot possibly in my head. I'm playing the human. Good casting. There's both humans. Some might argue. I'm not done yet, Henry. No, no, no. Ah. There are many levels. Three minute round. Put the droid on. Oh, level three. That way we can play and still talk. There's the play field, the grid thing. Um, in the background, you're going to hear Beans uh, whining. Sorry about that, but uh, he's not happy that I'm in the other room. Uh, the round has started. Like I said, there should be some great music here, but there's not. The uh, My opponent's screen is at the bottom. That triangle thing is the rotofoil. My enemy, basically. There's the ball. I'm trying to run up on my opponent and steal the ball from him. Off in the distance there, you see the uh, goal posts. Yeah, my opponent scored on me. It's an interesting looking game. It's very 1987. What do you think of the look of this game, dude? Mm. Basically, it's space soccer. I scored. Was talking. Don't really know what I did, but I scored. 
I'm in the lead three to two, not to brag. Um, I'm not in love with the Atari 7800 controller right now. I find it awkward moving my my uh, rotofoil, whatever, trying to catch the plasmorph with this controller. We'll just say that's why I'm not great at this game. I scored. I have a perfect five points. thing I don't quite understand is these are three-minute rounds. Once you've hit five points, I don't really know what happens then, except you wait for the timer to run out. I think the idea is that you're waiting to see if your opponent catches up, trying to steal the plasmorph from my opponent. I keep expecting Max Headroom to pop up. This looks like a, a Max Headroom kind of uh, base. I really wish there was some audio. If you go to YouTube and watch a game playing video, the audio is pretty cool. I don't really know how you get the ball away from your opponent other than you just kind of crash into him and suddenly you have the ball, like now, for example. Woohoo! I guess I did it. And I'm about to win! I won! I won! I, well, wait. He tied me, I guess. Overtime! Oh my god! I'm not sure if it's a sudden death. I guess it's a sudden death of overtime. Whoever scores first wins. Oh, that was dumb. I had the ball and I threw it away. Pretty exciting, isn't it, Henry? Yeah. Yeah. Oop, I've got it now. There's the goalposts. Every time you shoot a goal, by the way, that I forgot to mention, the goalposts get smaller. Ah. No, you can't have it. Yes? Nope. And where are you? Did I do it? I did it. I won. I won. My kid can finally be proud of me. Are you proud of me? No. Wow. I'm going to go crawl into a corner. Back to you in the studio. Hey, Atari fans. This is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer, the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Kieran will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. Second Duck on the Right and Other Very Short Stories is my new short story collection. Duck con artists, zombies, things on fire, supervillain angst, and a future without poop are just a few of the topics in these stories. Also the occasional really bad poem. Waddle on over to your favorite bookseller or swim downstream to my website, carnivalofgleecreations.com, for more information. Insert quacking up joke here. Here's the thing about Ball Blazer for the 7800, which is the only version I can speak to. It's fine. I was a little bit rushed today uh, getting ready for the episode, so I didn't spend as much time with it as I would like. And I'm a podcaster, so I have no friends, so I didn't have a player two other than the computer. I suspect this game is one of those where the game itself is just fine, but the real experience is having another human to play against. You know, have a couple of beers and play some ball blazer. Kind of like um, like uh, Warlords, for example, which is a fun game. Better still uh, if you have actual other humans to play against. The other thought I had, two other thoughts I had was, and I said this in the field report, that I really expected Max Headroom to show up at some point because the, the color scheme 
and the uh, design of the game makes me think Max Headroom. Plus, it was 87, so it's not uh, no real surprise. My other thought is, this is what it would look like if, after they cancel Ted Lasso, they uh, make an animated Ted Lasso in space game, like they did with Gilligan's Island uh, back in the 70s after Gilligan's Island got canceled, because it has that feel to it. You know, Ted and, and Beard and Jamie and Roy and whatever, they're leaving the uh, stadium and they find a spaceship and blast off into space. This is what the uh, space soccer field would look like. The game's okay. Uh, I wasn't like, man, this is awesome. But like I said, I was in a little bit of a rush this morning, and I didn't have the audio. I think some of these games are helped by having that sort of unrelenting audio uh, to kind of pump you up or get you in the mood. So that was unfortunate. The game is fine. I probably would need to spend more time with it. The, the other problem I have with it is not the game's fault, but just the I, I just have the standard 7800 controller, and I find it really uncomfortable to play games with that controller, and that lessens the enjoyment for me. But again, that's not the fault of the game. So I'm just giving this, uh, to the extent that I rank games at all, I'm giving it sort of a, yeah, it's fine, uh, sort of rating, which I know will be disappointing to a lot of people, but uh, I, I was not blown away. But maybe on another day I would be. If you guys have thoughts about Ball Blazer or anything, you know how to get a hold of me, and if you don't, hang around to the end of the show. I'll come out the side door of the studio and sign autographs, and you can hit me up with your questions. Just kidding. I will tell you how to reach me on social media and email. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. This episode's story is titled, When Blazer Met Slacks, Crimes of Fashion. Walter crossed his legs, but the crease of his tan and blue checked pants didn't fall as he liked, so he quickly uncrossed his legs. It was warm today, too warm for a turtleneck, but Walter looked good, so he'd just have to deal with it. A Captain and Tennille 8-track played over the lobby sound system. The receptionist drummed her fingers in time to the music. Quite a bit of weather we've had lately, Walter said failing at small talk. The receptionist didn't answer, though, too preoccupied with the particulars of muskrat love. The office door opened onto the small waiting area where Walter sat. Walter sat up and crushed out his Winston Lights cigarette in the conveniently placed ashtray. A tall man with blow-dried feathery locks stepped into the lobby. He had broad shoulders, all the better for his sharp navy blue blazer to stretch across. The flared cuffs and open collar, while tremendous, were subservient to that jacket. Walter stood. He knew the check pattern of his pants framed his legs and accentuated his tight buttocks well, but he couldn't help feeling a bit self-conscious about his hairline in the presence of this man's magnificent quaff. The man in the blazer removed the Virginia Slim from his lips and blew a puff of smoke. Name's Blazer. Jim Blazer, he said. And you are? Walter, Walter said. Slacks. Walter Slacks is my name. The point sufficiently beaten to death, Blazer nodded. You come highly recommended, Mr. Slacks, Blazer said. Thank you, sir. Shame what happened to Eddie, Blazer added in a tone that muddled just how much of a shame it was. Slacks nodded, unable to respond. Eddie hadn't needed to die. Don't the dry cleaners have emergency shutoffs on their machines? Blazer ushered Slacks into a large office. The floors were wall-to-wall shag carpeting and velvet art elevated the walls from mere plaster dividers to conduits for enchantment. Blazer sat in a large leather chair behind an oak, oak desk. 
Slacks perched on a much smaller chair on the other side. Blazer looked at Slacks. Do you know what we do here, Mr. Slacks? Slacks wondered if it was a trick question. The answer was right in the name. Blazer Investigations. The company business cards and stationery all had the company motto. Clothes make the man, and we're ready for what the man does next. Slacks looked at Blazer and said, Where others see only poorly matched separates, Blazer Investigations sees garish incompatibility. Blazer smiled. And are you ready for trouble, Mr. Slacks? Slacks sat so tall in his tiny seat that he nearly stood. I am, yes. Good, Blazer said. For the game is afoot. Size ten, I think. No loafers here, though. We ride. And ride they did. Blazer and Slacks pulled up in front of a large warehouse on the movie studio lot. The men climbed out of the blue Ford LTD and went inside. The scene inside was absolute sartorial sacrilege. My God, what costume carnage is this? Slacks said, to put it another way. Great towering mounds of clothing were arrayed haphazardly about the room. Tuxedos, army uniforms, cowboy chaps. Blazer grabbed the arm of a nearly catatonic production assistant, bleeding from deep scratches on his legs and face. Where is the costume designer? Blazer barked. The PA muttered something. Now! Blazer barked. A long-haired actress in a metal bustier and clown pants stumbled toward Blazer and Slacks. Suddenly, she clutched at her eyes as if trying to gouge them out. Slacks was taken aback by the bloody scratches on her forearms. It's horrible, she cried. She cried. I cannot bear it. It was all so, so beautiful. But now, she gestured around hopelessly. Blazer grabbed, grasped the woman by the shoulders. Madam, he said, who is the costume designer? The actress decked Blazer with a right cross. Off, do not touch me, she shouted and started to run, then turned and gestured to a balcony. She's up there the actress said, and fled. Her name is... But the Doppler shift being what it is, Sparks couldn't make out the name. It didn't matter. Blazer knew who it was. Polyester, Blazer said, springing to his feet. Slacks followed Blazer's gaze. He gasped at the spectacle up on the balcony. A tall, thin woman in huge glasses peered down at them. Don't let all the clothes hamper you, she said. Blazer shot up the stairway and stood face to face with his old nemesis. She swirled around, her purple cape flowing majestically around her. From down on the main floor, Slacks watched the scene play out above. A thought occurred to him, and he slowly pulled the nearest pile of costumes toward him. What's your game, Polly? Blazer asked. I thought you were still in fashion hell. Silly Blazer, Polly Esther said. That strip mall closed months ago. Down on the main floor, Sparks pulled the film's director to safety from a pile of astronaut spacesuits. He was covered in tiny little cuts. My God, Slack said. What happened to you? It's hard in the 70s to make the leap from television to film, the director said. This was the only film production that would have me. No, I meant, Slack started as the director started blubbering. Never mind. Just go. Get out of here while you can. As the director bolted from the stage door, Slacks pulled the sleeves of a puffy pirate shirt and the leg of a woman's pantsuit together. Up on the balcony, polyester and blazer squared off. You might like a prison jumpsuit, Blazer said. One outfit all the time. It could be relaxing. Polyester held out one leg. The crease of her flared jeans glinted in the cleek lights. Slacks was jealous. Polyester leaned into Blazer. Blazer involuntarily, involuntarily sucked in his breath as pheromones did their damnedest. Polly plucked a single hair from Blazer's majestic head. Silently, she held out her long leg once again and dropped the hair. The crease didn't just cut that hair. The crease split the hair lengthwise. Blazer was transfixed.
Hey, buddy, Polly Esther said. My eyes are up here. Blazer's gaze slowly moved up. Polly grinned. And so is my leg. With a dancer's kick, Polly Esther's leg shot up, the crease of those pants neatly slicing the tip of Blazer's nose. Just the tip, Polly Esther said, just like old times. She bolted past Blazer down the stairs, cape flowing behind her. The open door to her waiting Triumph TR-7, parked just outside, was within reach. Polly Esther hit the landing at the bottom of the stairs, and immediately fell flat on her face. Clotheslined in a string of knotted rugby uniforms, leprechaun jackets, and a couple fishnet stockings pulled taut by slacks holding the other end. Only the grooviest among us can turn around a fashion disaster, Blazer called down. I think we're going to have a partnership to rival socks and penny loafers, Mr. Slacks. Slacks waved awkwardly. Like the finest silk, he said. I give good coverage. Welcome to the fold, Mr. Slacks. Hi, this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton, from the Into the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable William Pepper and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the Vertical Blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme. Set Apple Podcasts ablaze with a five-ball, or five-star, review of this podcast. Email the show at AtariBytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at AtariBytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And do check us out over there on the Instagram. You can call and leave us a voicemail, too, just like that guy at the top of the show. Again, guy at the top of the show. Uh, please call and let me know who you were so I can give you proper credit. Uh, 563-265-1978 is the way that you do that. I'm looking forward to hearing from each and every one of you. Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com. You're going to find stuff of all imaginable types. Uh, information about this show, about my other show, it's a podcast, Charlie Brown, uh, information about books that I've written, like Second Duck on the Right and other very short stories, uh, and other stuff that I've done, and links to places you can buy them, and all sorts of goodness. So do go check out the website. While you're on the internets, you should also go over to patreon.com, specifically the Atari Bytes page over there, and become a supporter. You can help keep the lights on, you can help keep my pants on, help me get some of those uh, fancy scarves, Maybe some, you know, some riding gloves. Yeah, I, I don't know. But you can help support the show, basically, is what I'm saying. And you can be like these guys, to whom I am eternally grateful. Michael Tyler, Jose Gazeta, Sean Tortney, M. West, Patrick McCarthy, Jeremy L., Mark Super, and Jim Goble. Thanks to one and all. All right, we're just about out of here. I got to go iron some socks. So all that's left is to tell you next time on Atari Bytes. We're going to stick with the 7800. I enjoyed it this week, except for the audio issues. And uh, I'm going to give it another shot next episode. And we're going to play a game called Super Huey, which I know nothing about, except that it's apparently some sort of helicopter simulation thing. So uh, grab a barf bag if uh, you're prone to air sickness, and uh, join us in episode 302 for Super Huey. And also, of course, until next time, Go play some old games.
they've missed you.